This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. Making a triumphant return to the studio, our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. The crowd goes wild. Everyone's so excited to have you back. (laughs) Thank you. Also making a return uh, is Decider's Joe Reed. Hello. Joe, thank you for joining us for what is supposedly the slow season before festival season, but it does feel like we have a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, they certainly jump-started us. Yeah. So uh, last week, as you heard, uh, Richard and I had to run back to the studio for an emergency session about the new rules and the new Oscar category that was announced. Uh, So we're going to have a longer conversation about all of that uh, and whether or not the popular Oscar is a good idea. Uh, But there's a couple little things to talk about before we get into that. And uh, the most breaking of news as we record this is the new trailer for Widows that dropped this morning, the uh, Steve McQueen action revenge drama. Uh, Mike, you really wanted to talk about this. So it seems like you have gotten really pumped for Widows. I'm pumped, but I'm also like, I thought that we were going to get a totally, I don't know why I thought we were going to get a different Steve McQueen who was going to be like a little more antic and like in a Steven Soderbergh, yeah. you know, oceans mode. And it's like, nope, nope. this is going to be incredibly dark. <laughs> Everyone's an Academy Award nominee or yeah. a Golden Globe winner, uh, as you pointed yeah. out, Katie, in the case of poor Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. And every better. line is like laden with like meaning and portents, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean that's just a trailer, but like, like everything anyone says in that trailer, it's like, wow, that's like the biggest line in the movie. And yeah. Then, and then you the next line. And I think it's it's an interesting question because it, it fe- feels like the setup of the movie basically like these women's uh, these women are all married to criminals whether or not they know it. The men right. all die and then the women finish the heist. Sounds that sounds like an oceans type thing yeah. that would be super fun. Yeah. And to go the other direction I, it's it's a cool move. Steve McQueen like is incredibly, obviously, artistically brilliant, and you know knows a lot more than I do about this story and about storytelling on film and all the rest of it. But I'm also kind of like, wow, okay, yeah. we're going the totally heavy route on this particular story. Well, the funny thing is, is that you know the, the movie is based on a British miniseries, I think from the 80s or early 90s, um, and it's something that Steve McQueen watched as a young person yeah. and that was totally like enthralled by. And it's uh, reportedly like stuck with him ever since, you know, through Hunger and Twelve Years a Slave and, you know, all these oh, wow. really big movies that he's made, these really serious, heavy movies. And so he's like, I still want to make that movie. And so here it is. So it's his version of something he liked when he was younger. Right. Uh, just kind of p- passed through his filter. Do we know what this show was like? Was this show like really, really dark or was My it like plan... Knight Rider or, you know? I think it was like 
soapy. So, yeah, uh, yeah, my yeah, plan yeah. is to watch it before the, yeah. the, the movie will be at. Toronto. Is it available like on streaming platforms or something? I have a British friend, Ben Lee, who works for the Guardian, who ferrets out all that stuff. So yeah, it's available hey. to me, but like I don't know. You have a fence, can, like... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally. Do you remember? I don't know if anybody else would remember this, but back in the '90s, I remember a miniseries. I want to say on CBS uh, called Bella Mafia that was based on a Mario Puzo novel. I want to say, and it was. It's. I feel like it was a similar plot, which is that all these sort of like mafia wives had to get together to like finish or not maybe not finish but sort of like accomplish yeah. whatever their you know bumped off husbands Bella Mafia was recently in the news because it was the kind of weird conciliatory project that Les Moonves gave Ileana Douglas Whoa. After, wow. yeah. after all this. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. I also feel huh. like Annabella Shiora might have been in that, which feels like sure. a lot Whoa. of. <laughs> that's the kind of work. Don't she was quote doing. me on that because I have actually yeah. no idea. Yeah. Well, you mentioned The Godfather, and that's, you know, a very serious gangster story, obviously. Yeah. And then there's, you think of like Michael Mann and all that stuff. Like there's lot, or, or, or even like Sicario. Like there's lots of great examples of incredibly sort of intense, serious yeah. gangster movies. So that probably will be great. But I was just kind of like, I mean, I knew it was Steve McQueen, but I was like, oh, he's going to change it up. No. You want the Steve McQueen Wrong. caper movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe next year. It, it yeah. also seems like, I mean, Viola Davis being intense and powerful is no surprise, but there's also a lot of people who maybe haven't gotten quite the chance they should in this. Like, Brian Tyree Henry's become famous as Paperboy on Atlanta, and who's great, but he's kind of the heavy in this, which is exciting. And it's probably the first thing Daniel Kaluuya filmed after Get Out, because Black Panther came before. Um, and Elizabeth Debicki, who I know we've talked about as someone who we're constantly rooting for and is amazing and everything. I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do with this heavy drama, even if it's not quite the caper, that would be maybe more fun to watch. Well, plus you've got Michelle Rodriguez basically playing like her Fast Five role, but like super Oscar-y. And Liam yeah. Neeson being like, taken, yeah. uh, but I'm going to win an Oscar this time. Like, it's kind of an insane It's brew. a fun cast. It's such yes. a good cast. Um, I have spoken to someone in Los Angeles who has seen mm. it. And I asked him, I was like, okay, is it like Warner Brothers making a big fall commercial play? Or is it Oscar? Is it Gone Girl? Is it both? Which yeah. you know was another Warner yeah, Brothers right. movie a few years ago. Uh, and my friend said it's much more commercial, but like maybe it could be awardsy. I mean, it's premiering in Toronto, so well, like, the it's, funny it's thing is, an awardsy trailer. Yeah, like, yeah, there are totally. a lot of references yeah. to awards. In yeah. It. The funny thing is about Gone Girl is that movie probably does better if it's more successful commercially. Like mm-hmm. it did pretty well commercially, but I feel like if it's if that had gone over a little bit better with the public, that's maybe yeah. a better Oscar play. Like an extra $50 million. Or yeah, but yeah, yeah, just like tossing an extra $50 <laughs> yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. There's not much else that's on my radar. Maybe First Man, that's studio, that's Universal. Star is Born, um, which you know I wrote and directed, obviously. But Congratulations, like, by you the way. Know, I haven't there, got but, a chance. But like in terms of a studio Oscar play... Maybe Widows is it. And I think that By the, the way, re- maybe when they announced the popular Oscar, they were like, let's mention that all these people have Oscars, uh, Oscar oh. nominations. <laughs> Fair point. This could be the beginning That's of a best, that new. Are we form campaigning, of campaigning for the popular That's Oscar? Actually, <laughs> <intrigued by>. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go there's a host, a guest, and a light QA. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. 
So the other news item that we wanted to talk about and get into briefly was an interview that uh, Emmy's hosts Colin Jost and Michael Che did with the Los Angeles Times. It's a, it's a really short interview, honestly, and it's not that dissimilar to one that we ran in the Emmy special issue uh, that Laura Bradley talked to them uh, earlier in the summer, and they were basically like, yeah, we don't know what we're going to do yet. But uh, there was this one section that really went viral, at least among my corner of Twitter, in which Colin Joe says he doesn't really like award shows because they don't give awards to anything popular, uh, which made me think maybe he invented the popular Oscar. Um, I think this got under a lot of people's skin, and Mike, you might have a defense of it, but uh, Joe, do you want to sum up like why this drove people crazy? I mean, this really did hit like seven of my buttons at once. One of them being, I also feel like if another person says this and, it, and who isn't Colin Jost, maybe it's not as big of a deal, but I feel like he has built up some sort of reserves of resentment in people. He had, you know, at least one really, really bad transgender joke on SNL that really annoyed people after the election last year. That he doubled down on on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, he just seems like he's a genre of person who, (laughs) from, from whom a statement like this feels maybe a little bit more loaded. It's just this attitude of... I'm going to host the Emmys, but like the words are stupid. So really let's like, let's, you know, punch a few holes in this, in these stuffed shirts or whatever. And it's like, it, the whole attitude feels to me like this broy straight guy, no offense, Mike, um, sort of coming at this event You're that is, I'm bro-y? no, <laughs> no, no offense, straight guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that like coming to this event that is by and large appreciated by majority women and gay men and being like, this is stupid. Why do people care about this? We're going to go in and we're going to they and they had already said that they're not going to make topical jokes, Shay and Jost. So like my feeling also was sort of like, well, what are you going to like? We're just going to bask in like the wonderfulness of your pure comedy that, you know, yeah. you bring to this event. I don't know. It felt dismissive and shitty and I don't know, not what you want out of a out of an awards host. Why are you why why are you doing this job? As someone like Colin Jones who has tweeted some very earnest things about football, it's like, <laughs> man, that's yeah. just as dumb. Like yeah. I mean and Joe, you're a fan of both football I and am. award shows. So but like I straddle both worlds. I, I, that, that, does, that dismissiveness is annoying, especially when there are plenty of comedians and funny people who are on television who are much more into this kind of world and, and, and like actually have an opinion about it and like like a positive opinion, you know? Right. Like I just don't understand like why 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 do we constantly have this kind of self-loathing from award show where like we really want someone irreverent who's going to really like you know send up this whole premise and take like, us all down a few right, pegs we get that plenty from the outside world like we don't need like I don't know let's just have someone fun like the Tonys have figured that out yeah like just have a theater like a nerdy person host the thing like this year with Josh Groban and Sarah Bareilles I mean that is that could not be more isolating to people who aren't fans of theater right but inside that world we're like yeah great you know yeah. and, it, and it worked well right is that is that an issue though that you get you retreat into the bubble? I mean, I think that's gonna. This is sort of context for the popular conversation. I think ahead it is too. Yeah. Um. I. I. Maybe because I am a straight guy with uh, sh- uh some remnants of broiness. You're perhaps. one of the really good ones, Mike. I swear uh, <laughs> to God. Um, I have often said that like awards are ridiculous and I feel kind of like an idiot talking about them. And I, my justification is like, it's an excuse to talk about quality filmmaking, but I did. Part of me was just like, it is adults giving each other trophies. That is kind of like, let's not get too carried away with it. The other part, when he writes for SNL, which has 21 Oscar, I mean, uh, Emmy nominations or whatever, like he's, he's making, he's reciting a canard, I guess you would say. Um, 
But I'm curious. I'm fascinated by the hatred of Conchost because I just oh, he doesn't really. I just watch him and I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I actually kind of think like Michael Shea is pretty funny, like whatever. But everyone seems to really despise both of them. Can you guys? I understand there was a trans joke. What else is that? It or? well, well. Colin Jost was probably never mean to you in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Jost was definitely mean to me in high school. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, he's this rich kid from Staten Island who went, who just went right to the Harvard Lampoon and then went right to SNL and just like has this, comp- but, but acts as if he's aware of the world, but really isn't and keeps saying things over and over again that are completely out of touch with like the moment or, you know, sort of snarky about stuff that he doesn't quite appreciate. Um, he wrote this hideous thing in the New York Post recently about his fucking summer house in Montauk. Oh, boy. <laughs> he's just like not reading the room. Yeah. And he's very, and he adamantly refuses. And the, the hiring of Joseph Shea was the Emmys not reading the room. Like, not that, you know, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones had to do it. They might have had other things they wanted to do. But like, after this entire year of Me Too, the fact that all of the award shows have been hosted by men and the Emmys had a chance to do something different, they're like, no, these guys are good. Uh, it was, it just felt like you, they missed an opportunity there. Right, right, right. Yeah. I could see that. Michael, Michael Che, I'll like the second he lands a single punchline and Weekend Update. Like, the yeah. second he doesn't stumble over one of his, like... Yeah, and I might feel better about Colin Jost if he didn't write into every desk bit that the woman speaking is in love with him. Yeah. That's an intense Seth thing. Meyers was able to pull that off, though, I have to say. But, like, because Colin... Seth Meyers it, is charming. It, it, yeah, Seth Meyers, I think, is... is and I think that's... A, and also, Seth Meyers did not write a movie called Staten Island Summer about himself as a teenager... Uh, in which, in the first ten minutes, someone one character has called him handsome, and the other has called him smart. I have to which say, is something that Colin Jost did. You have done more to make me want to see that movie than it's on, Netflix. Else it's on Netflix. It's not. It's, enter- it's entertaining. Cecily Strong's in it. She's good. It's yeah. it's, it's a fun movie. It's no, just like it's... you know. Anyway, I I, I mean, Mike, it, it's hard to quantify maybe what it is about Colin Jost that like you know rankles some people. Um, I but, mean, you're you're. This is a start. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the thing is, like, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, he did something for us. And I was like, okay, like, you know, and, you know, I, I don't want to, like, just not like somebody who I've never met and whatever. Right. But then every public thing he does, I'm like, oh, he's just, like, confirming that he sucks. So, Do you think he's trolling at this point or is he genuinely I mean, just wandering through life, continually triggering everybody by accident? If he's trolling, it's because he knows he can get away with it, which is annoying. Well, and Michael Che is super aware of his critics and is known to, like, fight back to, against oh, them on yeah. Instagram. So it wouldn't surprise me if Colin Jost is also similar. Similarly self-aware, if not quite so combative. Because he made a kind of a similar joke in the um, in our interview, yeah. but it was more clearly a joke. And yeah. then I saw that one going around. So I'm like, can you believe he said this? I'm like, yeah. dude, this is definitely a joke. Like at some level, I do think he's sort of sending up the whole anger at him, which is probably even more yeah. annoying than, than the thing in the first place. But I don't know. The timing of it, too, that it comes so close after the whole popular Oscar thing where like – you know, reverence for something like Gladiator is already kind of like, I don't want to say triggering, but like, you know, that idea of just like, remember when the Oscars, you know, awarded movies that people actually saw and liked and... Well, yeah, and that was particularly stupid because, like, two of the past three years, a show about dragons has won outstanding <laughs> yeah. drama series. The it's Emmys not, don't like have Emmys a problem, like, like, awarding popular things. Yeah, and in the same interview, he was complaining about Kyle McLaughlin not getting on for Twin Peaks. It was like, that's the artiest shit on earth. Like, right. what are you talking about? Like, a lot of what he says, uh, popular feels like code for masculine, for, for, yeah. male. Like, you know what I mean? Stuff for people like him that 
he and his friends would like. When you put it that way, with the, with those, when you connect those dots, like why isn't Gladiator best picture, and why didn't Kyle MacLachlan get? You know, it's like yeah. wait a minute, <laughs> wait, wait, what? Uh, Joe, I was okay. grateful for your tweet that reminded me that it's not just me who every time I think about Gladiator winning awards thinks of Elizabeth Taylor going Gladiator, which is every <laughs> time I've watched that clip from the Golden Globes probably once a month. I hope Colin <laughs> Jost thinks of that too. I would think better of Colin Jost if he uh, also thought of Elizabeth Taylor associated with Gladiator. Uh, yeah, I we, think we can all we, can we do a, that's a, his a, alarm a, clock actually his ringtone. <laughs> Gladiator. We, do, we should do a special episode of like um, people announcing, like, uh, like like presenters announcing the the winner in a funny oh, way. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was away with some friends recently, and we were we were constantly replaying Glenn Close at the Tonys one year. South Pacific, the revival won Best Revival, and she sings some enchanted evening, and yeah. then says South Pacific. No, <laughs> she's like so excited. She, anyway, do you remember me, the year uh, the Twelve Years a Slave was at the Oscars, and Goldie Hawn presented the clip from it? You know how they do a clip yes. from it, and she says, "And here's the clip from Twelve Years a Slave." <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man, it's so perfect. We, we need to do a compilation of that, of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think they can be interstitials through the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. De- Dennis Quaid saying "Shisha." Ronan. <laughs> this could be a whole Tiffany Hatch. Mer- Meryl Streep saying Adapero Odebye uh-huh. from the Golden Globes that one year. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with the romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman. And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we've been dancing around it, so let's talk about the popular film Oscar. And uh, I feel like Richard and I should maybe uh, let Joe and Mike talk since we, you guys heard from us last week. Um, Mike, do you want to go first with the defense or should should Joe start with the uh, the prosecution, I guess? The prosecution? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't I start with the defense because no one has heard anyone defend this. Yeah, that's Possibly because yeah. it's indefensible. And, <laughs> and I'll say the reason I'm even here is because I had a super crazy day that day and really was not caught up on this whole controversy until that night. And then I barely like looked at anything and just decided in my head in a Colin Jostian moment, probably I was just, you know what? I like this thing. I like this idea. And I tweeted it. And then Katie was like, you need to come on the show and and defend yourself. Well, we're constantly trying to get you back on the show just to be clear. This is a, a good opening. So then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I still like this idea a yeah. little bit. I understand. And I listened to the episode that you guys did, and I thought you made a bunch of good points. And I could definitely see this whole thing going horribly wrong. But let me try to make the case for the defense, and then we can we can take it from there. First context of this whole thing. I respect the point that you made, Richard, about like maybe you just double down on your base and not worry about the rest of the world. But I don't think they're at that place yet. And I also think film in general has is is in needs to kind of figure out its way forward. And TV, I think the threat from TV, like we might underestimate it from here. Like it's really really serious. TV is just kicking films ass around the block, and maybe that doesn't even matter. But I think. Hollywood wants to protect film and and, yeah. and support it. And I think 95% of what Hollywood does is make, you know, attempted blockbusters. Like that's what that's the job of everybody in it. So I do think at some top level like rewarding that type of work 
is a natural thing for the Oscars, which are supposed to be about rewarding Hollywood for making movies. You know, it makes sense. And and uh, leaving aside the kind of all the potential pitfalls, which which I appreciate. Um, and also, there's something weird about, and the Oscars itself has become honestly like a dutiful slog in many ways. Certainly, in comparison to a lot of other stuff that happens, and and Oscar films have become. You know, in some ways, this sort of thing that's distinct from any other kind of movie, and I think that that efforts to sort of counteract that or push against it or at least complicate it are are to me welcome. I do think that I get the questions about the qualifications, like what is this going to be, but I also think ninety percent of the time you're going to know it when you see it, and then you know, and then we can have well, we'll see what what qualifications they come up with. Um, I don't think it's a fake Oscar. I think that it'll feel like a fake Oscar maybe for the first year. And then, you know, like animated is not a fake Oscar. I think it'll be an Oscar. If the, unless they totally new Coke this and take it back. Like it's going to be in three years, five years, it's going to be an Oscar. I don't think it will mean that you can't be nominated for both. And I think in some cases you might be able to win both, right? I mean, I, I think they've hope. said that. I think they've yeah. said that explicitly. And, that and, and well, I mean, certainly like they'll allow it. But I also think there will be times when it will happen. Um, I think that... It's possible that it will help. Taking the one side, which is like you're putting blockbusters in a ghetto, I think maybe. On the other hand, I think that it may lead to more blockbusters getting into Best Picture contention. If you think about like Get Out, from what I've heard, Jason Blum had to go to Universal and be like, take a giant chance on me. I need $10 million or whatever it was to do a campaign for Get Out. And they were like, hmm, okay. Whereas in this scenario, they would have already been doing a campaign and then the question could be like, all right, we're, are we going to also go for Best Picture or are we just going to focus on popular? So so there's already the machinery in place. On the other hand, I do think the popular category could clear some space for uh, for smaller films, you know, and, and maybe people will be willing to invest more in those smaller films and say, like, all right, I'm not going to have to go up against every Disney movie that, you know, or I'm not going to have to go up against Mad Max, Black Panther, and Get Out this year. Um, like, they have a, a place to go. Like, in other words, those three movies should be in Best Picture, but there's also – but the stuff on the bubble will have a place to go in, in, in my perfect view of this, which could easily not happen. I do think it will make more people watch the show. If you think about Avengers, Infinity War, whatever, getting nominated, that alone could bring, you know, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, all the Chris's. Uh, Samuel Jackson, Gwyneth Paltrow, like all these people, Vin Diesel are all going to the Oscars now. Like that's that's the thing, which I think could be could be helpful for the show in terms of enlivening it. And that is a movie that would not be nominated for Best Picture under any circumstances, but could be a, like an interesting nominee in this field. I like the idea that things like blockers could maybe find a place in this. I don't know, depending on how they they formulate it, right? There could be sort of – and I think it opens up the whole year to Oscar contention rather than having everything happen at the end of the year. Selfishly, I like that idea. We could be talking about Oscars. We talk about blockbusters anyway that have no Oscar chance. I think – I can see how people are concerned, especially in the context of this being the year of Black Panther. I hope that they're not making – a decision like this to add a new category based on the vicissitudes of a single year, but like I'm sure they could, but like hopefully not. But I think outside of this context, like I, I see the concern about you're trying to make you're trying to ghettoize either prestige films or popular films. But I think that you could argue, as I said earlier, like it, it recognizes the popular filmmaking work that is what most people in Hollywood do. It's like a Nobel Prize for graphic novels or something. Like I would support that. I think that you know, let's acknowledge that people are getting better at this stuff. Like these blockbusters are way better 
and there are many more good, excellent blockbusters in a year than there were 20 years ago. And finally, if it does get screwed up and all these pitfalls that we're worried about happen, if there's one thing the Trump era has taught oh, me, God. everything is the opening bid in a negotiation. <laughs> oh, boy. The world can end, and then you can keep fighting. So I think it's it's actually good to sort of like mix it up. <laughs> Mike mix has a up. dog-eared copy of the Art of the Deal yeah, was, next to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, in other words, it, it's like, oh my god, this horrible thing happened. Okay, good. Well, then let's like go from right. there. Yeah. But at least at least we're not sitting here going, why are the Oscars dying? Like, let's make it a move. They're trying something. It may or may not work. Th- those are all the arguments I could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, you make a couple interesting points in terms of the graphic novel and the animation. I think if this were based on genre, I think I'd like it more. I think if it were best action movie, I think if they were going to introduce a category that said best action movie at the Oscars, I would like it more because I think it would probably give you the same result. Yeah, I feel like best popular movie feels best so Marvel squishy. <laughs> right? I mean, basically. Yeah. But like best popular movie feels so squishy and amorphous. And I'm just imagining like – what the presenters will say, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you sort of valorize the idea of popularity? Popularity itself seems, you know, as its own reward, seems this so... year audiences saw stuff that wasn't your arty bullshit, right? <laughs> Here sort are of, those five films, right? Um, yeah. I think obviously the idea of keeping the Oscars as relevant as possible is a good one. I would maybe dispute the idea of the Oscars dying, and in, in just in the sense that, like, as I sort of ranching on Twitter last week, nothing gets better ratings than the Oscars except for the Super Bowl. Like, that's just sort of... And I feel like it's interesting to me that ABC was the prime mover behind this, that we found out that day, that ABC was the one who was really heavily pushing for this and sort of strong-armed, possibly strong-armed the Oscars into doing this when... ABC needs the Oscars so much more than the Oscars need ABC at this point. And I think because they have this contract that I believe is a 10-year contract that they just started so that like they're going to be together for a while but it would be it would have been interesting to me to see the oscars sort of play hardball with this and just be like we are the only thing that gets you massive ratings on the year you don't have football you don't have the nfl you need us your you know your ratings are eroding as quickly as everything else on network television so in 10 years where are your ratings going to be like the oscars have so much more even if their ratings are sort of sliding along with everything else on television. They have a lot higher perch from which to fall. And I feel like well, if live the Oscars, TV is one of the last things that works on on broadcast live events that are must That is true. But again, yeah. the Oscars are ABC's, you know, live event. And I get that like ABC is panicking because of that reason too, because they're envisioning this future where the Oscars just sort of like fall off a cliff. But I'm wondering if the Oscars were to ever flirt with a cable channel or Netflix, you know what I mean, to move to there where neither one of those places would put too many restrictions on it at all and would probably allow it to sort of – I can imagine Netflix just being like, do whatever a you want. Seven like, hour I was going to say, be on all day for all we care. Yeah. And yeah, um, well, except for the fact that like I think this idea that you – the assumption is that you have your Oscars audience who's going to tune in every year regardless. And so let's start focusing on the people who could maybe – you know, give or take the Oscars at any year and they'll come, you know, one year whether when they like the movies that are nominated or not. And I think that works so long as you are confident that your core audience is going to still stay your core audience. And the only thing that could change that is by fundamentally off altering what the Oscars are at their heart, which maybe is what's 
at stake here when you start defining things by commercial popularity. That's the other thing is we'll, we'll wait. I guess we have to wait till we, we know, know what the criteria about is. This. That's the thing. And like I think that the Academy completely bungled this because they announced the idea of something without defining what Wasn't it was. Wasn't there a leak that they were on the back foot? Or... Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, I'm I not think sure. they've been combating leaks from other things and wanted to get ahead of it, but it, oh, it does okay. seem like they could have just like uh, clarified their wording. Because like later in the day, someone came out and was like, yeah, this is what the category is called, but that wasn't in the initial announcement. Like Little things like that could have helped. Right. I mean, because all of this kind of you know, hue and cry on either side about this thing. It's like, well, may- maybe it's not as bad as some people think it is, or it's worse. I don't know, worse than some people think. It, you know, it's like we I don't really know. Strongly, don't think it's an existential threat to the core audience of the Oscars. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying that, like, that if this is the opening bid in a thing where they like lose the idea that there's a, you know, that there is something. Uh, uh, that is, you know, objectively the best movie of the year. But I don't think that that's what this is to me. I don't know. But again, we do not know. We don't have many details. I think the combination of that with the idea of putting a lot of the craft categories into the commercial breaks paints a picture of what what is valued. Yeah. Well, I, again, A, we don't know the metric by how they're going to define a popular film, which I think is crucial to understanding what this is. But – I think, Joe, and I said this last week too, that for me, the biggest and worst change is not airing. Oh, I absolutely categories. agree. With you. Um, I absolutely agree. With you. I think I think that is like it erodes sort of in an internal respect among the academy. Like, how incentivized now is someone in a in a, in a craft category going to be to actually participate in this experiment if they right. know that their category isn't like isn't even valued enough to be on television. Well, and my thing is and this sort of maybe is easy to shoot down, but I think you want the Oscars to be a little bit stuffy. I think we need the Oscars to be a little bit tradition bound or else what are they? Or else why do we care that people win them? Because uh, yes, they, they sh- it should be the the it is and should be the prestigious end of the season, right? Where it's like, yeah. okay, you've had your fun. Now let's find out what is actually the best movie. I yeah. absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, you said you're going to a baseball game. Like, I'm a baseball fan. Baseball has the same problem, except they have it, like, 160 times per year per team. Right. Which is, like, the games are too goddamn long, and they're super boring. Right. And so every year they introduce a few things, and some of them work, and some of them don't, and some of them are annoying. Most of them, after one year, are like... Oh yeah, I always see the little you know strike zone with the ball in it, sure. and now I like that because I can tell if it's a strike or not. Right, and I think the Oscars needs to start playing, frankly. And also, I hate to say it, but like all the below the line people are in show business. This is the streaming age. They will have the YouTube clip to show their grandkids who will never have heard of ABC, right. and it's a show. It needs to be a big popular show, not a bunch of people that no one's ever heard of or seen before collecting Oscars. F- 14 of the past 15 years and thanking somebody before getting played off. I think as Joe pointed out, like when you've seen some of those people win, they're representing a lot of the big movies. Like we all remember the year Mad Max just kept winning Oscars because all of the technical people were getting prizes. And you might not have heard of them, but if you're looking for movies that you've actually seen to root for, like that's a big opportunity to do it. Yeah, but I don't know what the payoff is for a Mad Max fan at home to be like, great, the stunt, you know, whatever it is, the, 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 the cinematographer won. And I... 
you know, I, I just think like everyone's still getting Oscars. Like no one's going to – they're going to complain for year one and year two. But like after that, it's like you won an Oscar. How, how, how upset can you be about this? Yeah. I mean I don't know. Talking about the Mad Max fan at home, I, I don't – I don't also don't know who this fantasy person is. And I'm kind of cribbing from someone, Ben Rosen on Twitter, who made a joke about this, who is like, oh, I've never cared about the Oscars. But now that they might nominate a superhero movie, I'm going to sit through three hours of that. I just don't think that person exists. <laughs> I, I really don't. I think that people are watching well, the Oscars who are going to watch the Oscars and people don't are not going to, no matter what they change about it. Yeah, but well, anything – look, it's it's similar to the politics you mentioned, the core audience and the – it's like – it's like the swing audience and the core audience. The core audience is like, I love the Oscars. I tune in every year. I think about it. Maybe I'm listening to this podcast. I am definitely not speaking to the wrong audience right now. Um, then there is, I think, there are people who are like, you know, the, the rating surge when Titanic is the best picture nominee. People are like, oh, I saw this movie this year. I really loved it. Is it going to win or not? Like, I'll check it out. They may not sit through three hours. They're not going to have, like, special cocktails or anything. But, like, they'll put the TV on and watch some ads. So I think that there is – are those – is that, like, ultimately the – you know, the greatest way to invest your effort? Not necessarily, but I think that they have to ward off. I I understand why they're concerned about going down a road where all the films are so niche that that only hardcore Oscar enthusiasts care. That's if that's where they land, that's where they land. But I think that they're going to fight that and they and they have to fight that, especially in a world where People barely watch any movies. Everybody's just home watching Netflix all day. So they've got to do something to kind of like – to like, I don't know, make some noise, frankly. Yes and no. I feel like – I think 21 years after Titanic, maybe we just sort of agree that Titanic was an anomaly year. I think the idea that the ratings do go up when there are more popular movies, quote-unquote, nominated is like true and not true. I think – there's a lot more popular movies that end up in the best picture nomin- uh, on the best picture list, especially since they expanded it, than I think it gets credit for. I also think it's interesting that we're all assuming that these nominations are going to go to Marvel movies when, like, we've seen this before where the Academy has tried to sort of push the voters in a certain direction when they expanded the category. The hope was that it would go to movies like The Dark Knight and it didn't. And they, you know, introduced, you know, they would want it to go to like animated movies. I think Pixar saw a bump for a while and uh, in the best picture category and it didn't. I think even if you look at like the technical categories, the Marvel movies have never been that popular with the Oscars in general. And I feel like if you're going to introduce this category, my prediction is there's still going to be Oscar voters. Like as much as you may want them to, and I may want them to value things like comedy or action movies or popular movies, I think you can like narrow the parameters from which they are have to choose, but they're still going to end up choosing the things that they want. And so I feel like if you, if you're like, say that the, the line is hundred million dollar movies, they still might do like, Oh, um, Captain Phillips. You know what I mean? Like movies yeah. that they were already going to nominate. By as the way, best that would be nominee. kind of awesome too. I mean, that sure. might create a then new incentive to make like really awesome movies that, you know, that might revitalize a, a part of a part of Hollywood that needs revitalizing. I th- and I think that's, you know, if that's the the outcome, then certainly that I mean, it if ends it's up a, being if a good it's, thing. Joe, are you saying that uh, Mamma Mia, ha- Mamma Mia Two, which recently crossed 100 million, has a chance? Because then I'm in support of the I mean, category. I don't know. Maybe I think I I just feel like the the sense that this is going to necessarily be five superhero movies is uh, maybe wishful thinking on the idea on the part of people who either 
best case scenario for people who love Marvel movies or worst case scenario for people who hate Marvel movies. And I, that's maybe a the super truth is in interesting point because I think when you think about popular, it's so vague, obviously, as, which is what's driving everybody crazy. And I, yeah. and I hope – I mean I would be – also, I would be dem- sad if they said it's like it has to make a hundred million dollars at the box office. That would be like a sad way of defining it. But I just um, I wonder what then what the criteria is. It, but it makes is me it think cinema of, score. Is it, like, it makes me think of like the definition of like popular music to like classical music fans or jazz fans. Like we may end up getting some weird yeah. Like, like, like what counts? I don't think there's any way that they could make the rubric about box office because because then Get Out gets in there and that and it's a studio movie, but it costs five million dollars to make or whatever. You know, the point of this as we're seeing it now and again we could be wrong is that we are rewarding and incentivizing studios for spending a lot of money to make a big movie and they want you know and so i think it has to be based on budget in the same way that independent spirit awards are based on budget you know that's 20 million and under but then do you lose something like blockers which didn't make 100 million and also didn't cost a ton of money well and again we're all just kind of gaming this out we don't actually know what the rubric is going to be but i think it would have to be based on budget Unless you want to do something insane, like it has to be one of the big six studios. Or like maybe you have a panel of people who are like, here is what we think qualifies as popular movie this year and and too bad. If you take the most popular people in the industry and have to vote on it. Right. I predict, (laughs) I predict uh, with not a lot of basis that they're going to, somebody's going to write like a short essay of about three sentences and then they're going to let the voters interpret it however they want. Right. Right. Oh, interesting. That's so that so that I they won't have any actual like handcuffs on them. They can yeah. choose whatever they the, want. The definition of a popular movie is in your heart. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's my yeah. prediction because anything else is too is too sort of complicated. And, yeah. and then you're letting the voters. It's like, hey, we want to encourage the membership to think about this in a in a slightly different way. But like, let's not let's not create some weird parameter all that's going to do any number thing is just going to create gigantic wars at the border of those numbers right, the, right. i'm at 99 million like why aren't <laughs> well, I and also like, they'll re-release a whole bunch of movies to cross like rampage is currently at 99 million maybe so the fairest one is theater count you know again that's about spending money that's it but like it's the wide, you know, the widest releases, you it's know, still which then, then blockers could count for. It still know? then allows the studios to game the system, which I guess the studios are always going to game the system, but yeah. to, yes. to <laughs> the sort of like, but, but to sort of like to self-select the, the you know, the pool of eligible ones yeah. where it's just sort of like, it's like with the budget thing. It's like, okay, well, we'll make sure that this meets the minimum requirements to get the popular Oscar and we can do that because we have the resources to do that. Yeah, but if you think of something like, you know, when Fox Searchlight has Little Miss Sunshine, like they eventually platform it and release it on a ton of screens. Like that kind of does work for popularity for even small movies. Like, you know, Call Me By Your Name probably wouldn't fit that bill, but it also like didn't have that widespread appeal. So that theater count might And the might interesting thing work. is we, we have theater count already factored yes. into a movie going experience with yep. the new movie pass where they're saying if it's in over a thousand theaters you can't see it using movie pass for the first two weeks of its oh, release that's interesting. or whatever so it's the so, movie pass oscar yeah so it's a, yeah so we already have this kind of <laughs> so I, I just feel like because if, if you get into the money aspect of it then that gets very complicated very quickly um but if you're just really saying by by popular we mean wide release i that's that sounds kind of good to me, and and that would, you know, accomplish. I'm sure what is another part of this, which is how do we shore up the movie going experience and the theatrical and all that stuff. I they mean, would they would need to change the name from away from popular though, because then all of a sudden, you get just because you are released into a certain number of theaters doesn't you know doesn't make you popular, and then all of a sudden, what does that mean for the small movie that becomes actually popular that actually hits a chord uh, and sort of plays. So strongly 
on that mid-tier. Like it out. Yeah. Wait, Joe, you did some research before you came here. I did. Well, now that we've shot down the $100 million thing, it's maybe not as relevant. I'm still curious. (laughs) But if you go back to – from the point that they expanded the Best Picture category, there have been on average three movies in the Best Picture category that have been $100 million movies or better domestically. Three movies per year? On average, yeah. Some years there were like five or six. Like some years – Yeah, 2012 is my favorite because like that's the year that like Lincoln made over $100 million. Django, Les Mis, Argo, Silver Linings, Life of Pi, six movies in 2012 of the... I still want to go back and write a book about that year's yeah. uh, campaign. That's such a great It's a really good year. year. And that's also the year of no, uh, the ones that weren't nominated. That was Avengers and Skyfall. Skyfall, which everybody assumed was ha- lingering around the like 10th, 11th spot that year too. So... I think that's an interesting year to look at where your best popular category could have been all best picture nominees anyway. You could have had like full crossover. I think 2010 with Toy Story 3, Inception, True Grit, King's Speech, Black Swan, that could have happened. 2009 had Avatar up, Blindside, Inglorious Bastards, and District 9, which were all ahead of 100 million. So I think it's not necessarily true. Again, I think Oscar voters are Oscar voters, and I think that leopard doesn't fully change its spots. So I feel like you could end up with a lot of crossover t- between those two. I think one year that's interesting in terms of what could have been different is if you look at 2015, Best Picture nominees, The Martian, Mad Max, and Revenant were all ahead of $150 million. But then you have Force Awakens was that year, which you would assume would have been on a Best Popular you know, list because it was well-reviewed. And and a lot of people thought it might get special right. nominations. And, and then so Straight Outta Compton was also that year, which made $160 million, And a lot of people thought that might be on Best Picture. And then so maybe that's your five. But then what, what of Creed? What of Inside Out? What of something like Spy, which was so popular and is not a genre that the Oscars ever go for that you would want if you're talking about the Oscars expanding their horizons in that way? You know, maybe they go for that. It's very interesting the question of the crossover between animated and and um, popular, and it does seem yeah. like it, a very popular animated movie could conceivably end up in three. Has, anim- has, yeah. has the yeah. introduction of the animated category? I think it was in two thousand one. Yeah, has that siphoned away? Um, animated movies from the best picture or, or it hasn't really had any effect because well they were part of it when it was expanded to the 10 like you got Toy right. Story 3 you got uh, and that seemed to have faded away though uh, Inside Out uh, no Inside Out didn't make it yeah it was Up it was Toy Story 3 and that was I think maybe it I think Brave might have ended that run like Pixar made like a not great movie and yeah like, oh, okay we don't broke need to the do spell. this anymore but I think if you did the best popular movie in 2013 I think Frozen definitely makes it well I also really like by the way the idea that if Shape of Water wins Best Picture and Get Out then wins Best Popular, like, that's cool. That's mm-hmm. good. That's another award for, you know, the, I, I feel like I also suspect, to your point in the last episode, Richard, about the, the um, Black Panther thing, I don't know if this is better or worse or just just as bad, but I suspect that they are getting like freaked out by the sort of every year becomes this thing where it's like are the oscars racist or not let's see who wins best picture yeah and the whole that answer will be determined by which one wins best picture and so i think in a way you know they're looking for sort of valves to just be like hey let's create a few more opportunities for people to win so that we don't we're not like on the hook every single time for this question they got (laughs) they got such a kind of like 
by last year because they were like, oh, it's the fish movie. Uh, that That's unimpeachable, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I was going to say. Like, yeah. We're not going to give it a three billboard. Fish aren't so like, black or white. Like, yeah, so, like, yeah. And I feel like they kind of like skirt, you know, skirted past a bullet. And this year with like the with Black Panther kind of looming large, um, they maybe see that we have to actually like address this head on. I don't know. I, yeah. think, I mean, I mean, I, I think you were talking much earlier, Mike, about like whether this was this idea was a reaction to a multi-year thing or if it was just literally like uh, Black Panther has to win something. Uh, we need something. You know, I think it kind of I mean, it feels to me like it was. But um, but if it's coming from ABC, then maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. But I think I but I, I feel like I, the ABC thing was more about cutting the show short and less about the popular thing. But. Yeah. And listen, ABC is owned by Disney. And they want Marvel to well, win. Well, that's true, too. But I, I'm sure the vast majority of pressure from ABC is like you need to get more movie stars to the yeah. show. Okay, but, like, here's the thing, because I feel like you don't need to nominate Infinity War to have Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson at the Oscars. Like, you have them anyway. They're presenters all the time. So but it's more fun for the rooting interest at home to be like, maybe they'll w- – will they win? I mean, you sure. know. Sure. Yeah. I, I just hope that if, if Scarlett Johansson is at the Oscars that she brings her charming and talented boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you do know how to wrap it up in a bow. <laughs> do you do you guys not think though if Black Panther wins the best popular film, film Oscar, which at this point seems very reasonable to assume it will, like if it doesn't get nominated for Best Picture on top of that, I still think that's a bad I look agree. for the Academy. It looks like the voters were like, oh, okay, now we don't have to nominate this Marvel thing in Best Picture. We can give it its own little separate category. And I felt the same way about Get Out if it had won the Best Popular Oscar and then Jordan Peele hadn't won Best Screenplay. I feel like that would have been a look like you you can come into the club, but like we're not really ready for you to be in the in the main pool with the rest of us, which is. The optics are. I tricky. think that that um, that's correct, and I think that the c- criticism in the anticipatory criticism of like let's not turn this into a ghetto for things that you know are deserving but might not fit the typical profile of best picture is good, and and hopefully voters will keep in mind like if you you know vote in if you like a movie vote for it in both places. Yeah, um, it definitely could happen, you know, and but. On the other hand, I do think that it's nice that there's another Oscar to hand out um, and that, you know, maybe – I don't know. I don't know how truly useful in the long term it is to to have this kind of like black or white metaphorically like either the Oscars are awesome or the Oscars are racist based on like the outcome of a single vote every single year. I almost wish that we had given the uh, quote unquote new academy – this sort of, you know, expanded – the expanded voter roles of the Academy a few years to sort of see what they would have done with a, with the Best Picture category over several years before we sort yeah. of, you know, pulled the fire alarm and decided to let all the blockbusters in. Although I do imagine there's a valid concern that a whole lot of those people don't care about these blockbusters. Like they've, they've invited a ton of foreign filmmakers who are not invested in Hollywood and are going to bring really interesting perspectives. But like they, they don't care if Black Panther succeeds. Like they're worried about the Finnish film industry or whatever. Um, so they might not be as blockbuster friendly as you imagine like – I don't know. Like Chris Pratt. Is Chris Pratt an Academy member? I don't even know. But he, I'm sure he will be now. Yeah. <laughs> future best actor winner for so infinity we, war chris pratt yeah <laughs> do we want to wrap by maybe just spitballing a few things we think might wind up in this lineup I, again knowing we don't know the parameters like aside from black panther what what else do you expect to benefit from this a quiet place yeah yeah and that would be good that was top of my list too I feel like that's an ideal benefit. Like, because we talked about A Quiet Place earlier in the year. We're like, yeah, it's a really good horror movie. But, you know, it's not meaningful. Like, get out. Like, I don't know about an awards campaign. And that seems like the kind of conversation that can be shut up by this new Oscar. Yeah. I mean, if there's some discernment in terms of what gets in there, like, I'm less 
you know, doomsday about it. Um, if they're just like, if it really becomes just like the blockbuster, you know, entertainment awards or whatever, and it's just like Jurassic World 2 because it's the movie that people saw, like that yeah. would be bad. But like Quiet Place is an interesting movie. It's a good narrative for Hollywood. You know, it's a studio movie that kind of was like, a sleeper hit, essentially, or, or you know. There's good acting in it. There's yeah. good. I feel like the, the Academy, when they have gone for popular movies in, you know, the best picture category already, they tend to go for things that have some sort of artistic streak to it. Yeah. And I think Quiet Place definitely qualifies there. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be, I mean, the optimistic view is it's going to be those big, kind of genre or blockbuster type movies that are on the bubble for best picture in most years where you're sort of like I That's wonder the ideal could hereditary get in there. I mean we don't know what the we don't know what the rubric is yeah. again, but like there you go. I think horror and comedy are two really really interesting considerations with this category. Where does this category open up to those two genres which traditionally have been shut out by and large? Can't they just do like an outstanding Tony Collette category? I mean they should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best lead Tony Collette and then yeah. best supporting Tony Collette. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm with it. Before we wrap up this week's show, Joe, I wanted to give you a chance to plug your awesome new podcast, and I, I didn't work it into anywhere else. So uh, just I, will you talk about This Had Oscar Buzz, a podcast for a minute, and uh, why people should listen? Sure. Yeah. So This Had Oscar Buzz, which had been a Tumblr for a few years of mine, talking about uh, movies that had once upon a time been positioned for Oscars and completely fizzled and and were in many ways forgotten um, we're resurrecting those. And so that has now become a podcast I co-host with entertainment writer and my friend Chris File. We have covered so far – we're on – we right now I think recorded uh, – we're up to 12 episodes um, that we've recorded. I think we've gone live with about 10 of them. Pay It Forward was an episode. Mona Lisa Smile was an episode. We just put up an episode on Serena, the Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper movie that's had on a shelf. Truly baffling For several years, movie. Susanna Beer directed. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's it's a fun – it's a good excuse for me to actually watch a lot of these movies, which in many cases just sort of like passed by. I think we've been hearing a lot of people being like, I didn't even know that had Oscar buzz. Like Double Jeopardy we did an episode on, which a lot of people were like, that didn't have Oscar buzz. And I'm like – the that could have won a popular Yeah, and Oscar. Ashley Judd absolutely was under consideration for Best Actress that year. I remember a few articles had mentioned it. So we had an episode on uh, Ask the Dust, the Colin Farrell, Salma Hayek movie that Robert Town directed. So it's a mixture of stuff you've completely forgotten, if not have had never heard of to begin with, and stuff that is kind of notorious. We have an episode. Our next episode coming up is on Hyde Park on Hudson, sure. the movie where Bill Murray <laughs> plays Laura, FDR. Laura. Yeah. Yeah. Comeback, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's a great show, and it you know going back in, into the Tumblr, like you know I've been following this for a while. There's something kind of appealingly melancholy about it because you're like all these dashed hopes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like all these dreams, yeah. like that we thought was gonna, you know. Um, so it's it, it's entertaining, but it also you know makes me think about time and like where I was sure. whenever that movie came out. Remember and, Helen yeah. Hunt's big year where she was in everything, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. And everyone should listen. Yeah, it's this had Oscar buzz. Go seek it out. Subscribe. We would love to have you on. Well, that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Uh, you can find us the, all. We can find most of us at VanityFair.com. Uh, we're all on Twitter at Little Gold Men, and on our own, I'm at Katie Rich, Richard, Rylaws, and Mike, Mike underscore Hogan, and Joe, who's at Decider.com. Uh, uh, where else can we find you? 
I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the next movie to win Best Animated Feature, Best Picture, and Best Popular Film Oscar goes to Joe Reed. I mean, this really did hit like seven of my buttons at once. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.